Hi, my name is Sam Williamson. I'm a member of Grace West. Grace West is joining us today by a simulcast, so good to see you, Grace West. It's really good to see you. And I'm part of the teaching team here now at Grace. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you invite us into this time of worship. Father, we thank you for your scandalous, reckless, never-ending love for us. Father, I pray that you free us from the prisons that we are so often in, the prison of lies that we're told over and over again that, that strap us down, that handcuff us, that keep us from living free. So I pray today, as we study your word, as we study your grace, that you free us. We pray this in Christ our Lord. Amen. My sister went to a small private school college in Holland, Michigan, and she studied Eastern European history. And her advisor was Professor Petrovich. Professor Petrovich had born in what was then Yugoslavia. He now taught in the United States. He taught Eastern European history. And he also was the official translator for Jimmy Carter when Jimmy Carter was president. He was the official translator whenever President Tito from Yugoslavia came into town. And Professor Petrovich was always late. One day he was racing to the airport, going from Grand Rapids to Holland, racing to the airport in Holland, literally going 90 miles an hour down the freeway, and a police car starts chasing him. Lights flashing, siren wailing, and he just kept going. The police car called several others, and pretty soon half a dozen police cars are chasing him with lights flashing, sirens wailing, and one sort of finally forces him off the road. Professor Petrovich jumps out of his car, rushes towards the policeman and says, what are you doing? I have a meeting with the President of the United States. I am translating for President Tito. If I don't get there, President Tito will be humiliated. President Carter will be embarrassed. I have to get to the airport now. And the policemen looked at each other and they escorted him to Grand Rapids Airport. Sirens flashing, lights, lights, wailing, lights flashing, sirens wailing. It was the ride of Professor Petrovich's life. Later that week, he told my sister the story about going to the airport and being escorted by the police. And he concluded this way. He said, Sawa, when you lie, lie big. <laughs> God came to earth. God created originally all the creation in Garden of Eden primarily to have a relationship with us. Scripture says God would walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And when Adam and Eve rebelled, when humanity rebelled, we lost that intimate, conversational, personal relationship with God. But God wanted to bring it back. God wants more than for us just to be good little boys and girls. He wants us in a relationship with him to know him personally. And he wants to give us this. When Christ died on the cross, all kinds of things could have happened. One of the things that continues to stand out in us, for us is the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And the veil just represented that barrier between us and God. And the veil was not torn from the bottom up. It was not our efforts. It was God himself tearing the barrier between us and him. But the lie that we live with 
is we somehow have to earn his favor, his approval, his love. And I'm telling you, we all live with that. I don't care if you became a Christian yesterday or 30 years ago, or you're not a believer. There's something inside us that feels a barrier, and we feel like we got to tear it from the bottom up. It's the lie that we all live in. And the world around us reinforces this lie at every turn. In the 60s, there was this sweet movie called Sound of Music. I'm sure many of you have seen it. At least you've heard some of the songs. And sweet, novitiate Maria, Fraulein Maria, falls in love with Captain Von Trapp. And to her delight and amazement, Captain Von Trapp falls in love with her. And one night, they're singing you know, in the moonlight garden. And Maria says, sings this. She says, nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Do you see that? Somehow, God couldn't have blessed me with his great love and friendship unless I deserved it. It doesn't sound so bad coming from Fraulein Mary, but this is a trap. It's a prison. And Madonna, another one of my heroes, not necessarily as sweet as Fraulein Maria, Madonna said this about the identical message. She said, every time I accomplish something, I feel like a special human being. But after a little while, I feel mediocre and uninteresting again. I find I have to get myself past this again and again. My drive in life is from the horrible fear of being mediocre. I have to prove I'm somebody. We all know what she's experiencing. We all know that feeling. We accomplish something, and then we lose it. We get a raise, but then we got to keep that raise. We get a promotion, but then we got to earn that promotion. We find our spouse, but he or she, we, we, we got to earn it. we got to keep doing something, or we're going to lose this. There's something inside us that's a prison. God gives us a relationship for him, but we keep wanting to tear the curtain from the bottom up to earn it. This is the big lie that we all face, the big lie that we all face, that we have to earn in some ways God's approval. How do we do this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want us to take us a little bit through St. Peter's life. We're just going to look at a few incidents in his life. And the first one is in this thing called the great catch of fish, found early in the Gospel of Luke. I want you to read with me. I have it up on the screen. So Jesus had just preached to crowds from a boat. There were so many people, he was being bumped into the water. So he gets on a boat, so he preaches to the crowd, and then it picks up here in verse 4. And when Jesus had finished speaking to the people, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, so much so their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And so they came and filled both the boats so much that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. The first lie that we continue to face in our lives is that we've done too many wrong things. 
We've done so many wrong things, God can't possibly want to be with us. Peter says, I've blown it. You look pretty powerful, Lord. Let me go clean up my life. Before, let me clean up my life. I am just scared to be around you. But just consider with me. Consider with me. If, if one of your kids said to you, Mom and Dad, could you just leave me alone for a little bit? I want to get to college and finish my degree so I can get a good career. I want to get married so I can give you some grandkids. I want to buy a BMW. And then let's have a relationship. And we would say to her, honey, you're four years old. You just spilled the milk. I want to relate to you now. I don't want to wait till you clean up your act. Our hearts would break, wouldn't they? I mean, somebody once said, the tears of God are the meaning of history. There is some way that we... Now, it sounds very humble to say, I'm not good enough, God. I've blown it. I've made some mistakes. It sounds very humble, but the result is we so often simply break our relationship with him. I have a friend who I counsel by phone. He lives in another state, and he has, epi- he has an episodic addiction to a porn- pornography. He'll be, he'll, you know, he, he's free from it for several months, and then all of a sudden he slips into it for a month or so. And what he says to me is, every time he slips into it, he quits going to church, he quits going to his church's small group, and he quits praying. Now, this is the time he needs God, but he's so ashamed, he's so guilt-ridden, he basically is saying, God, depart from me, because I'm a sinful man. Now, that sounds humble, doesn't it? It's a, it, I mean, and it is humble. There's, a, there's an element of it that's true, but it's not, it's not the whole story. Saying to God, I am unworthy, is a terrific place to start. But it is a terrible place. It is a terrible place for us to end. Because the gospel is, God loves us not because of our goodness, but because of his overwhelming, overflowing goodness. This is the gospel. Now, one lie is I've done too many things wrong. The other lie is the opposite. I've done everything right. And it's equally devastating. And I've done everything right. uh, A woman came to me several years ago, and she was in despair over her son. Her son was now a drug dealer. He was sleeping with prostitutes. He had rejected his family. And she said, Sam, I did everything right. She literally said, I did everything right. She said, I trained him to be like the heroes of the faith. With the faith of Abraham and the heart of David and the courage of Esther, she wondered why he left Christianity. And honestly, I wondered what took him so long. Because one of the ways we can put a barrier between us and God is our goodness. As though I don't quite need God. When you think of Jesus and you think of all the people who are following him, who followed him? It was the pimps and prostitutes because they knew of their need. It wasn't the good Pharisees and the good scribes and the good teachers. It was the people who said, I need you. In some ways, the people who have done too many things wrong, and honestly, we all have, but at least the ones that admit it, at least know of their need. 
Flannery O'Connor was a southern writer who wrote pretty dark stories, but she, they always had some great spiritual truth to them. In one of her short stories, she has the narrator describe this guy, this man, this villain. What she says is there was a, already a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go out and rob a bank today. You know, please, this is not the moral of the sermon today. The, the, but, but the point is, we can avoid God. We can almost chase God away by, our, by, by acknowledging how we've done so many things wrong. But we can also chase him away by saying, God, I don't need you. I'm, I'm doing pretty good by myself. I'm fine. To say I've done everything right is to make God simply a vendor. And those of us in business know a vendor is not the same as a friend. To a vendor we say, I paid your fee, now you owe me. To God we can say, I raised my kids, I did everything right, you owe me, God. And we're no longer calling God our friend, we're calling God our vendor. Both, ex both examples of doing everything right, doing everything wrong, is looking at our lives, primarily to get to God, or to, be, to go away from God, instead of looking to God himself. Because the gospel is not love of the beauty, it's when beauty kissed the beast. What does it look like to simply live loved? Another lie that really will undermine us, and I su suspect this undermines us more in ministry than other places, is a lie, aren't you glad, God, you chose me? You did a pretty good job when you chose me, God. I'm very proud of you, God. I'm sure my service to you is of great service and great benefit. You did a pretty good job, God. I'm really proud of you. Now, we do this in ministry, I know, but there's this great situation in Peter's life where God invi Jesus invites Peter and two other disciples up to a mountain where he Jesus is going to be transfigured in front of them. This is where more of the glory of Jesus is going to be unveiled to them. Scripture says, he was so bright they could hardly see him. Moses and Elijah also appear with Jesus, and Peter and just two other disciples are chosen to see this. So out of the 12, they're chosen. The 12 themselves are chosen out of 72, and the 72 are chosen out of thousands. So like, this is the elite three. And you know what Peter says? Aren't you glad you chose me? Peter says, God, Jesus, it is good that we are here, because I'm gonna make you a tent, and Elijah a tent, and Moses a tent, Aren't you glad you chose me out of those 12 and out of those 72 and out of those 1,000? It's the usefulness lie that God likes us mostly for our usefulness. And as long as we're continuing to be useful, God, God will like us. This is a picture of me in 1984. 
when my, uh, 1986, when my son was about two years old, and I was working under the car because the drive shaft had become out of balance, and I had to replace, or I actually think I had to rebalance the drive shaft. And my son is sitting there helping me. Now, none of us in this room really think my son was helping me, do we? In fact, it probably went a little slower because my son was helping me. And you know what? I loved it. I'd say, hey, could you just hand me that wrench? Could you hand me this screwdriver? And I did this with my son. My, my, now, my son could have said, hey, Dad, I got the drive shaft. Why don't you go, like, check the windshield wiper fluid or something? Because I got this. Aren't you glad I'm your son? And I would have said, son, I love to invite you into my life. I love to invite you into my service. It's not that I needed him as much as I just loved him. I loved to serve with him. Augustine used to say, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Augustine is not saying God cannot without us. Augustine is saying God loves to invite us up just the way I invited my son up into just working with me because God wants a relationship with us. And we're so busy saying, God, I'm so useful. Let me change that drive shaft for you. And God is saying, quit tearing the curtain from the bottom. I've torn it from the top. I just love working with you. That picture was from 1988, last summer, 2018, 30 years later. That son calls me up and says, Dad, I need to work on my brakes. Can I come over to your house? Now, I hate working on brakes. I haven't touched car brakes since I was 16 years old because I hate working on brakes. My son came over. He had new brake pads. He had new rotors. We took off the calipers. And you know what I did? I basically sat there and he'd say, Dad, 316th, please. I'd hand it to him. He says, Dad, I was, he wasn't inviting me because I made the brake change faster. He was inviting me in just because he loved me. Can we come to God just because he loves us? Can we be, not because we're useful, although we are useful, he loves to serve through us. God is, the gospel is not bragging to God of our riches, but the gospel is seeing that we're his treasure. The last lie that we deal with, and you know, this is, we deal with this all the time, and that's, at least I'm not as bad as them. You guys get this one. So, Peter, on the night of Jesus' greatest agony, the night of the Lord's Supper, the night when Jesus is betrayed, Jesus says to Peter, the night Jesus washes all their feet, Jesus washes all their feet, and then Jesus says, you know, you're all going to betray me. And Peter says, not me. He literally says, though they may all fall away, I will never fall away. Jesus says, I'm not as bad as them. Okay, I'm not perfect. I don't have my life together. He's not saying, be gone from me, I'm a sinful man. At this point, now he's saying, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as them. And, and this is us, you know, we say, okay, I'm in debt. I, I, I'm in a debt in a way. I'm spending too much money, but at least I don't cheat on my income taxes. And somebody else says, okay, I do cheat on my income taxes a little bit, not too much, but 
at least I don't murder anyone like the mafiosos. And the mafioso guy says, okay, I, I did murder a few people, but only people who deserve it. At least I'm not like the Nazis. And the Nazis say, I don't know what they say. <laughs> but they all say something. Because we all say something. Don't we? Don't we all say something to God? Now, <laughs> there may be some people here saying, gosh, do other people compare themselves like, like, like Sam's story? Are they? Gosh, I'm glad I'm not like them. <laughs> we all do it. The gospel is not coming to God in our fullness, but seeing God come to us in our emptiness. There's a way in our comparisonitis, what are we doing? We're trying to rip the curtain of the temple from the bottom up. And God is saying, no, you have to receive it as I rip the curtain from the top down. Can you just come to me the way you are? Can you come to me the way you are? These are some of the ways we try to earn God's approval. I actually had a really long list. I couldn't keep doing, going through the whole list, so I picked the top four that apply to me, and I sort of hoped you'd see yourself in that mirror. How do we get out of this prison? How do we get out of this prison of literally in our efforts to be good, and in our efforts to not be bad, in our efforts in comparisonitis, we're, we're, we're actually building the barrier that God wants gone. How do we get out of this prison? At the beginning of the sermon, I read this story called The Great Catch of Fish. But I want to ask you a question. Did you know that there were actually two score stories in the gospel of the great catch of fish? One is at the beginning of Luke, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, where Jesus first calls Peter. And the second is at the very end of the gospel of John. And these two, pick, these two stories of the great catch of fish are virtually identical. In both stories, you have professional fishermen who fish all night. In both stories, these professional fishermen catch not a minnow. In both stories, an amateur who wasn't even with them says, hey, try one more time. Throw out your nets one more time. In both situations, the professional fishermen throw out the nets one more time, and they catch a record number of fish, the, the, the most they had ever caught, so much so that their boats are sinking under the weight of this catch. But there's one difference between the two stories. They both involve Peter. Peter's there in both of them. Peter's the main character in both of them. If you don't count Jesus, I suppose. Peter's like runner-up. Um, in the first situation, Peter sees this great catch of fish, and he says, be gone from me. I'm a sinful man. Leave me until I get my act together. And in the second situation, Peter's on the boat 100 yards from shore. He throws off his clothes. He swims the fastest 100-yard freestyle of his life, an Olympic-breaking record. He dashes through the waves, and he runs and falls at Jesus' feet. What happened? What happened between the first great catch of fish and the second? What happened in Peter? How could Peter be so different? What changed in Peter? Before Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. In this situation, he saw Jesus say, 
Father, cut me off. Let me take Peter's sins so that the veil can be ripped. So, so Peter and so Grace and so Grace West can have a relationship. Jesus said, cut me off so they can be restored. Because the gospel is God loves us, not because of our goodness, but because of the greatness of our Lord Jesus. Before the cross, we all say, I did these great things. You owe me, Father. Jesus, Peter finally sees that all his great deeds were simply pacifying his own ego, trying to make himself look good to God. And Peter finally recognizes that the gospel is not love of the beautiful. It's when the beauty, Jesus himself, kisses the beast that we've been. Before the cross, Peter is saying, aren't I useful? Isn't it good that I'm here, God? I know you need me. Haven't I done a great job? After the cross, Peter recognizes that he has totally blown it. Peter thinks he's the biggest failure in all of humanity. And Jesus says, now I can make you a leader. When you thought you were useful, you couldn't be a leader. Because what Jesus is looking for is not the person who's most useful, but the person who can repent the most and the quickest and the most freely. Because the gospel is not bragging to God of our riches, but suddenly acknowledging and admitting and coming to see that we are his treasure. Before the cross, Peter looked at all the other disciples and says, look at those cowards. Aren't you glad I'm not like them? After the cross, Peter understands his cowardice in a way he never could before. I mean, we know most of the other disciples just scattered. Peter denied Jesus time and time again. He finally says, may I be accursed if I even know him? This is, Peter finally knows himself. Peter's no longer full of himself. Peter comes to God empty. Peter just rushes to Jesus empty. Because the gospel's not coming to God in our fullness. But the gospel is seeing God come to us in our emptiness. My sister's professor, Professor Petrovich, really had gone to the airport to catch a plane to be the official translator for Tito when he came to meet with President Carter. He told a big, audacious, urgent truth. But there's a bigger, more audacious truth. That's simply that God loves us because he loves us. Somebody once said, nobody doubts the gospel because it promises too little. Nobody says, I wouldn't believe that. There's almost like, there's nothing there. We all doubt the gospel because it promises too much. And so we work hard to do good. We work hard to avoid bad. We work hard comparing each other. And God says, just come to me the way you are. I don't need you to fix the drive shaft. I love just working with you. Come and work with me. The gospel says there is a way that we can break out of our prison simply by living loved. 
turn to the Lord. Oh, Father. <laughs> we don't believe it, Father. I, I think sometimes we leave wake of broken relationships as we so desperately try to earn your love when all along you're, you're so graciously pouring it out on us. Father, open our eyes to see you. Open our eyes to see who the real you is, full of grace and mercy. Help us see your greatness, know your greatness, and receive your love. And Father, as we see your greatness and your mercy and your love, I pray that you help us go out into the world more generous, because all that we have is free. I pray that you help us go out and be more loving, because your love to us was free. I pray that you help us go out into the world and reach out to the brokenhearted because you reached out to us. We pray this through Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our beauty, Jesus Christ. Amen.